Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mashana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. I am so pleased to welcome Sarah M to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. Uh, I know that you have just such a story of triumph, overcoming trials and tribulations that you face in your life, uh, mainly having the confidence and the courage to become free from the killing fields. I know a lot of people may be wondering, what are they talking about killing fields? But I know that you're going to explain that to us. So will you please just tell us a little bit about yourself, any biographical information that you can share about your profession, books, your current family, what's your passion these days? Help us know who you are. Sure. First, I want to say, say thank you for inviting me. Of and again, my name is Sarah M. I'm an, an author of the book, How I Survived the Killing Fields. And now I am an inspirational speaker. My goal is to help people by sharing my story of surviving the killing field. My goal is to help people to regain their confidence, to overcome their own obstacle so that they can live successfully beyond survival. Mm-hmm. Survival is not the goal. Survival is the step to reach success. So that's what I enjoy doing right now, speaking, sharing my journey. That's beautiful. And listening to the way you describe that, It makes me think of um, a scripture where Jesus says, I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And your words make me think of that. I know that you made it through the Cambodian killing fields. And now you have a goal to show other people how they can make it through their life's challenges, too, as you did. Yes, yes. I feel like I feel like God saved my life. So that I can tell, I can mm-hmm. share the story. That's wonderful. And um, I was talking to a group not too long ago, and someone mentioned uh, the word history and broke it down to be his story. But she shared it in such a way that was so enlightening for me. So I just keep sharing it again and again. She said that basically we are sharing. God's story, Jesus's story through Mm. our lives, our lives, the stories that we experience. And as we overcome different things, it's a testimony. It's still telling his story, his story as seen through our experiences. That's beautiful. (laughs) 
I agree. I think so too. So I've adopted that way of expressing myself as well. <laughs> so I am so honored. I really am. I'm deeply honored uh, and humbled that you would even find value in being on my show and talking to me and sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experiences uh, with myself and the audience. So let's jump in. I know that you uh, were a caregiver for your mother who was paralyzed and your brother and that you were raised on a farm. So please describe anything else about your life before the killing fields that you think is important for us to know. So we'll know what that transition was like. Yes, yes. Um, as the a child of a farmer and the firstborn child, I feel loved and secure. Mm-hmm. But my, my parents have this belief that she doesn't want her children to grow up as farmers because mm-hmm. they realize that farming is a lot of hard work. So yeah. they believe in higher education. So they encourage me to do well in school, to stay in school. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was brought up. And when my mom got an accident and she became paralyzed, I became her caregiver. Mm-hmm. And at, at that time, she also had a baby. So mm-hmm. I care for my mom and my baby brother. Oh, I see. Yes, it's it's a very, very sad time. But with love, mm-hmm. I would do anything to help mm-hmm. my mom to get better. So, so your mom was paralyzed and you cared for her, but you were almost like a second mother to your, your baby brother. Yes. That's a lot of responsibility for a young person. Yes, it is. But you actually were honored and glad to do it because you had so much love for your mom. Definitely. That's yes. Mm-hmm. Well, we can learn a lot from your life just from that, because so many people complain about helping out their family or different things like that. But I also heard so far in your story that your parents hoped so much for you. They wanted you to stand on their shoulders and go to a higher level, have a better life, and which is why they inspired you to do well in school. Yes, yes. And, and also, I want to back up slightly. While I was caring for my mom, that's mm-hmm. the time that I have to nurture our relationship, mm-hmm. you know, caring for her mm-hmm. with my loving heart, with my compassionate heart. I, I, I love her and I feel so, so sympathy for her and mm-hmm. just so much wish that she will get better soon. Mm-hmm. So... That built such a strong love bond between my mom and me. That's beautiful. I hope all the listeners are learning from that. (laughs) I'm learning from it too. I'm reflecting on my own relationships and particularly my relationship with my mom and my relationship with my daughter. I've been blessed to have strong relationships too, but you know what? You can always learn and go deeper. I, I, I always say there's deeper levels of everything in life. Yes. You never say, oh, I love them so much. It couldn't be more. That's not true. I think it's always more. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. 
So now we get an idea of what home was like. Being raised on a farm, having these deep, meaningful relationships. How how did you transition to eventually finding yourself in a killing fields, being in captivity? Well, there is one step to get into that. My mom, after four years, she she started to feel her toes, her leg. Mm-hmm. And then gradually, very slowly, she was able to walk again. So once she started walking, she was able to go back to work. And her work, she loved to be in the marketplace. She, mm-hmm. um, she's a business person, although she, she does farming, but she also likes um, business. So she went back to do business and earn income and save enough money to send me to college. Oh, my goodness. This story gets just more and more beautiful. (laughs) I see this exchange between you and her. You give her love and support. She gives you love and support. It's going back and forth. Yes, yes. So the college is very far away from home. Almost 400 miles from home. So um, I went off to college and and find another apartment and stay away from my family. Mm-hmm. Um, during my during my time in college, the communist Khmerus took over the country. So the system changed. The new government, the new system took over and they shut down everything. When they shut down, I mean complete shutdown. They they closed all the school, all the office, all the marketplace, transportation, communication line, hospital. (laughs) So everything was shut down. Now, what was their strategy for shutting everything down? They want to start everything from scratch. They they feel like they feel that the previous government was too corrupted. So they want to clean up and they want to start all over. And they believe that they can do that. And they use us. They use the people. So they evacuate everybody from the city. Mm-hmm and push us to go to the countryside. I end up in a work camp, in a forced labor camp. Now, in a previous conversation, I think you uh, mentioned to me that were they strategic in making sure they took people who were well-educated? Yes. Yeah, they, they basically wanted to strip society from the most knowledgeable people who could oppose them maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's that's their thinking. They don't want any educated uh, people leave so that we might form something against mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So because you're you were in college and you were receiving this higher education you are one of the people that were definitely taken out of the city and made to work in these killing fields. So now tell us, what was captivity like? 
the captivity um, for me I end up in the big camp so different people go to different region different type of camp but for me this is how it looked like we work very long hours I they ring the bell at 4 a.m and they send us to work in the right field and the rice field is in the heat all day long, about 15 to 16 hours a day. And during that long day, they give us very little food to eat. Just rice and a little bit of watery soup. Very, there, there's not much nutrition. And with this type of food, we become malnutritious. We, we are exhausted. Mm-hmm. We work, work too much, mm-hmm. eat, eat too little, and not enough time to rest, not enough time to sleep. So we don't have time to rest. We work seven days a week. So pretty soon, within, our first, within my first two months, mm-hmm. I became sick. I, I contracted a few illness. So no matter how sick I was, they still want me to go to work in the field mm-hmm. so I keep I keep going I drag myself to go to work but eventually I got too sick to go to work so when when I got too sick they sent me to to a hospital they said that you need to go to the hospital mm-hmm. but when when I get to that hospital I realized that it's not a regular hospital. It's, it's the place for the very sick people to stay and wait until we die. Wow. Yeah, there's no, no doctor, no nurse, no medication, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing to help us to get better. So, so help me understand when you, I'm backing up just a little. When you said that they rationed out just very little food so that you would become malnutrition, would you say that it was something like what a scoop of rice? Was it even a scoop? Maybe, yeah, it's a scoop of rice, but not not much else. We mm-hmm. don't have meat. We don't have a lot of vegetable or anything that come along with rice. So it was just one scoop for the whole day. Yeah. Okay. And so when you said that you became sick and then were sent to this hospital that was really a death sentence, a place just to wait to to pass, what type of sicknesses was it that you were wrestling with? Do you know? Yeah, for me, I got high fever to start with and then uh, malaria and then typhoid fever. The typhoid is um, it's the infection of my my intestine. So um, I got very very painful the stomach ache all the time. So are these diseases that you would catch from another person, or uh, were you all just passing it to each other? Or yeah, we 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 pass on to each other. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that time, 
what did it feel like? What was going through your mind? What was your emotions? What, what was going on? You're telling me a lot about how it was affecting you physically. How was it affecting you mentally, spiritually? Mentally, um, I was sad. I miss my family, but I'm still hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm still hopeful that something better will something might be better. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope. I, I, I still hold on to hope and I still remember my family and I, my goal is I want to go back home. I want to reunite it with them. So that foundation, that love actually produced in you something that turned out to be what you held on to. Yes. It helped you keep going through it all. Yes. Yes. It helped prepare me for hmm. for the harder time in my life. I know that you escaped three times out of different circumstances before you finally, with the third one, was able to leave the country successfully. Tell us about those three kinds of escapes, if you will. Yeah, sure. The first escape was the the time when I was in the 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 hospital, the infirmary, mm-hmm. and I realized that I will die if I keep staying in that place. So I um I don't know what to do. I I was thinking about running away, mm-hmm. but I cannot run too far because if they catch me, they might kill me. But and then finally, I decided I will. I have to pray, and I asked God to help me. Mm-hmm. So um, I pray at night time. But this this Camaro, they don't believe in any religion, so I have to be careful. I pray at night time. Eventually, a you know, like a few weeks later, I was able to walk out of the that place. Mm-hmm. I sneak out. Mm-hmm. So when I when I walk out, I went to the other side where the working people are staying. Was anyone with you, or you went alone out of the infirmity? I went alone. That that's only myself. Were you very weak? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Very wow! Weak. But you mm-hmm. just knew I could do it. I'm going to get out of here. Yes. Yes. Life uh, depended on you getting out of there. Yeah. Yes. If 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 I don't do anything, if I don't try, I will never make it. So, what was it like? Did you have to go over fences? Did you have to? What did you encounter as you left the infirmity? Infirmary. Um, <laughs> not much encounter. It's just a little bit scary because if the um, the the armed guards see me wandering, they might capture me. They might punish me. Mm-hmm. But it's um, I, w- I was fortunate that time. Everybody went to work in the field. Mm-hmm. So the guard was a little bit busy with the working people. Mm-hmm. So nobody paid attention to the sick people. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get out from there without any problem. So for the people who were captured, 
I know this was many years ago in your life and you're much older now, but you're still a very beautiful woman. Did these guards ever try to take advantage of the fact that you're this beautiful, fragile woman? No, I I have been safe since the beginning. So I lost so much weight. I was just skin and bone. So I'm not, I'm not look, I don't look like I am today. I see. <laughs> I see. Were you aware though of any women being abused? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Okay. So that, well, actually that's, that's good to know. Cause when I think of people being captured, being made to work in essence, almost like slaves, I always equate that the women may have a harder time because they will abuse them, rape them, take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. As we see so many times throughout history that that type of thing happened. You were safe from that. And I'm thankful to know that. (laughs) Yes, I'm thankful too. Mm -hmm. So what was your second escape? My second escape, well, after I um, got out from the infirmary, um, I was able to meet with a a team leader that she's kind enough to help me to put me to work in the kitchen where I have more access to food and I work in the shade and I have more time to rest. So I start to feel better. And I look better. After I look better, feel better, they pull me out from the kitchen and they put me back to work in the rice field, in the harsh labor uh, camp again for four years. Four Four years? years. Yeah. And the second time, you managed to maintain your health? Not really. My health started to decline again. I was you know, skinnier and skinnier. Mm-hmm. But um, after the end of four years, they moved the whole camp up north, up to the, the jungle. Mm. They, they sense that something is coming. So they, um, they know something is coming. They, they start to move the whole camp. And when, when they move us to the jungle, I realized that that's not the direction that I want to go. So, okay. So your mind was still very focused on how do I get home? And they were moving you to a location in your country that you knew was taking you further away from home. Definitely. Okay. Yes. I see. So when they move us to the jungle, I realized that I need to get away from these people. Otherwise, I will never have a time to meet my family, to see mm-hmm. my family again. Mm-hmm. So um, at one point, I start to make a plan to escape. That time, I gather three close friends that I trust. And I asked them to see if they want to escape with me. And all three of them, they say yes. Yes. So uh, we made plan to run away from it. 
It's so the second escape was with three other people. Yes. Mm. You feel a little more comforted by that? I feel more comfortable because I was frail, very frail at that time. So with three other people, at least they helped me out a little bit. Oh, so were they, they were not as frail as you? Not as frail as me. Okay. Yeah. But you're the ringleader. You're the one that convinced everybody. <laughs> I'm the leader. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. So you made it out. So is it safe for me to assume that the other three made it out as well? Yes, we all made it out. Wonderful. Tell me a little bit about that part of the journey. What was it like? What did you encounter? Was it cold? Was it wild animals around were the guards ever chasing after you or looking for you what what was that like well we wait until nighttime nighttime in the jungle mm-hmm. it's dark it's black mm-hmm. nobody can see anything so we feel like that's the best time for us to do it mm-hmm. so we we know we kind of uh, feel where the God, you know, the God, they are staying. So we try to go around them and now, not to make any noise. So we sneak out very quietly. They, the God is looking out for something, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if people coming in, if the animal coming in, if mm-hmm. the people run away or anything like that, mm-hmm. they have gun, they have gun and, you know, look out for for the enemy. What type of animals were around that they would be watching for? I have no, I don't know. Okay. In the jungle, it can be anything. It can be a lot of dangerous animals. Like what, though? Because I don't have a reference. <laughs> like tiger. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like tiger. Were there any gorillas in that area? Gorilla? I I don't. It's possible. So they're looking for for any of these things, but you know where they're located. So you guys went in the opposite direction? Yeah, before it got dark, we know where they sit, where they, you know, where they stand. So we just try to walk away from them mm-hmm. and then we we sneak out quietly mm-hmm. and then we and then we walk very fast. So it was really dark. Did you guys hold hands? Yeah, we hold hands. Okay. Otherwise, we get lost. So we don't have a direction. We don't know where to go because in the jungle, we have no way to know where to go. Mm. But we were trying to trace back to where we came from. Mm -hmm. So we we try to trace back our step. So um, it. I believe God helped us <laughs> because, <laughs> because we have no idea. We couldn't get lost. We, we couldn't go around and around and around in the jungle. God was your GPS. <laughs> <laughs> so he led you in the right direction. Yeah. That's yeah. so great. Are you still friends with those ladies today? Well, we, we don't know. I don't know where they are now. Mm. They they accompany me to until I found my family. 
And then, yeah, and then we invite them to stay with us. They stay with us almost a year. Wow. And then they move on. They were they was looking for their own family, but they have no idea where their family are because everybody was scattered all over the all over the country. Well, this is such an amazing story. <laughs> and you're such a strong woman. Thank you. So tell me what it was like when you um just before you met your family, again, I want to try to tap into what your thoughts, emotions, physically, mentally, spiritually were. And the reason I keep going back to that is because I know that our joint goal in even having this talk and sharing about your book is we want to help other people. Mm -hmm. So Whereas other people may not be captive in killing fields, they may not be sent to an infirmary that's a killing, a place for people to wait to die. Some people may be experiencing those things around the world, even today as we speak. But there's a great many people who may not have those exact set of uh, circumstances. But they have other trying and challenging situations in their lives where they may be despairing. They may have a killing field in their own home, so to speak. It could be an abusive husband or an abusive wife or abusive parents. They may feel trapped in some way. Let us know as much as you can tap into and remember and share. What was your journey inwardly as you endeavored to be free well i i keep my optimistic mindset i always have hope that something better is going to happen mm-hmm. and i never give up hope i always vision that one day i will be with my family again how did you get that optimistic uh, mindset cuz we don't all have it. Did you have it early in life? Was it instilled in you from family? Well, um, what I grew up with is that I've, I've always looked for something that I'm grateful for. Because um, as a farmer's kid, I don't have a lot of fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I enjoy life. Hmm. I appreciate my life. And... During the the hard time, although I don't have everything, but I don't dwell on something that I don't have. Mm -hmm. Like like when they evacuate people out of the city, I lost everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I I cannot bring anything with me. If I kept thinking about all my beautiful clothes, Mm -hmm. all my beautiful shoes, all, Mm -hmm. all this and that, if I keep thinking of something that I... I left behind, I would be a sad person. But instead, I go day by day, I appreciate that I'm still alive. I appreciate that they did not beat me up or take me away to kill me mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people who got killed. So when I look from that point of view, I appreciate what I have. At least I, I'm, I'm not worse than that. Yes. So when you were young and you grew up with a certain degree of lack, 
you had an ability to see what you did have. Maybe you didn't have fancy clothes or a lot of clothes, but you appreciated what you did have. You appreciated your family. And because you had that grateful heart, it carried over into the more difficult situation. Yes, yes. The optimistic mindset, the mm-hmm. great, the gratefulness, it's it's a lifestyle. It mm-hmm. it doesn't develop uh, at a certain point. It's the mm-hmm. lifestyle that we live that way. Wow. Gratefulness as a lifestyle. That's beautiful. I guess then a lot of your message to people who may be facing something difficult is be grateful for what is positive and then use that gratefulness to hope for a better situation. Yes. Rather than despairing. Yes. Yes. And on, on top of that, we have to have faith. We have, we have to believe. Faith is strengthen our hope. You know, when we have hope, we have a vision. We are moving forward to something better. But when you have a strong faith, you believe that that, that future is going to be better. So I think in the way we've started sharing now, we've started tapping into your four attributes of resiliency and optimism. Yeah. So I know your first one is being grateful. And then your second one is having faith or hope. And you've spoken about those a bit. What's the other thing that helped you uh, stay focused so that you could pull yourself out of that situation of being in the killing fields? Have love. The, the love that we have, our relationship, my, my love for my family, that is the strong, very powerful one. Maybe that even is, the most important one, huh? Yes, very powerful. And also, I have um, developed friendship among the people in the camp. We found like a, a sisterhood among us. We mm-hmm. help each other. Almost a second family. Yeah. Yeah. And then love, love even for them and concern for them. Yes. So important. Wow. So, you know, what I'm thinking about is, you know, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, you can kind of even look beyond your individual struggles. And because of caring for other people who may be in a similar situation or maybe even a worse situation, it can help you rise above it or even rise together. Yeah. Uh, don't focus on yourself so much that focus on the people around you as well. Yes. Yes. I call it a sense of purpose, the purpose of living. I'm not just live for myself. I live for other people. And for- that's your fourth attribute. So yeah. it's, it's being grateful. It's, having faith or hope it's having uh love and then a sense of purpose so your sense of purpose or at least one part of it was caring about the people around you yes yes Mm -hmm. and and also my purpose is 
to reunite it with my family also. A sense of purpose. And it's so interesting because you're still carrying that out today. It's not enough that you made it out of the killing fields. It's not enough that you inspired three other people to make it out with you. You're still trying to pass that message of gratefulness, having faith and hope, loving and having a sense of purpose to help other people. You've made it back to your family. You could say, okay, I'm done. I made it back to my family. But you're saying, no, there's more to do. Yes, yes. It's the lifestyle. When you develop something, you can carry on. Mm -hmm. So my sense of purpose is will keep going on. You know, you told me... um, a while ago in a previous conversation that you had faith during captivity. I think you touched on it a little bit in this conversation too. But at that time, you weren't even sure about God. You wasn't even sure. You believe that there's some God out there, but you didn't really feel like you, you knew who God was, but you felt that he kind of revealed himself to you while you're in captivity. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Well, uh, at that time, I was still in my early 20s. I I started to form a belief. I believe that God exists. When I was like seven or eight years old, my mom, usually she read the story, she read the book at nighttime. And I love to to lay next to her and just listen to her story. One story that she read is about one man. He he gave everything that he ever owned. Um, He determined that this lifetime, he's going to be a generous person. Mm -hmm. Generosity is his core value for this lifetime. So he had two children and one wife left. But the very bad person want them. They want to take the wife and the two children from him. So because of his generosity, he want to fulfill. He gave the wife and the children to, to this bad man. This bad person start to drag the children and the wife and kind of beat them up. So when God saw what happened, he sent the angel to, to protect the children and the woman. In this story, I form my thinking to myself that, wow, there is God. God hmm. saw what happened and oh. God sent the angel. So there is God up there. So way back when you used to listen to your mom tell this story, it formed an idea in your mind that there's something or someone greater with more power. Okay. So that's where the seed was planted, so to speak. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's why I said, I don't know a lot of character about this God, but I know he exists. Your mom planted that seed in your mind through that (laughs) story, kind of indirectly, huh? (laughs) 
So when she shared that story, do you think she was really trying to teach you concepts about God or spirituality, or it was just a story she was sharing and the story just kind of planted in you as a seed that there's a God somewhere? Well, um, she did not mean to share it with me. She read it. She, it's, a, mm. it's a story in the book, and uh, I enjoy listening to the story. And you interpreted it that way. I interpreted wow. that way. I think God did that on purpose. I, I think so, too. He caused you to hear it with different ears. Yeah. <laughs> so fast forward, you're in captivity. And because of that story, you have a sense that there is a God out there somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what did you do? in captivity to try to communicate with the idea that there's a God. The first time that I call out to God is to pray, to help me to survive when I was sick, when I was in the infirmary. So that's the first time I pray and I ask God to help me because Mm -hmm. I don't want to die. I want to live. I want to go home. And at that time, your God that you're praying to didn't have a name. You you didn't say Buddha. You didn't say Jesus. Uh, you just said God out there somewhere. <laughs> the big, if you make sense, help me. <laughs> the biggest God. The biggest God. Mm-hmm. The biggest God. Yeah. So it was in you, the biggest God. Yeah. And I know that today you consider yourself, you are a Christian. Yes? Yes. So what was that process of development mentally to go from the biggest God, the God out there somewhere, to then defining that biggest God as Jehovah or Jesus or whatever you would call him today? Well, it's a long process, but Mm -hmm. there are steps that direct me there. When I arrived in the United States, a few years later, my my family all also cross over the border and try to escape mm-hmm. out of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So in the process, I try to sponsor them to come, mm-hmm. but there are a lot more complications then. When they get out, there's no registration. They close the camp. So my family get into a limbo situation. So they are undoc- they become undocumented make it very difficult for me to to sponsor them. So during that time, I become very stressed because my family live in the very, in a limbo situation, in hiding. They had to hide themselves to, uh. um, to avoid the captivity by the uh, Thai soldiers. So I became very stressed. So during that stressful time, I was searching for some peace. And during that time, I was surrounded by Christians. Uh, when I arrived to the United States, I was supported by Christians, a few church in the area, and they are very kind to me. And I know that they are kind of peace and loving people and compassionate people. So I start to lean in and try to learn about 
what are they what do they have what do they believe so <laughs> their behavior made you say something's different yeah yeah <laughs> i i admired them okay so um i i start going to the church and i start to learn and and eventually i get to the point when the pastor's wife read me the story about how jesus died on the cross all that and then i realized that wow jesus sacrificed his life for me and i realized that there is nothing else i can ask more than that because he sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice and what else can you ask for so, somewhere in that process in your mind did you relate it back to when you made that prayer in the killing fields and the uh, hospital I did not connect the dot right away, but later on, mm-hmm. later on, I, when I reflect back of every step that I, I say, oh my goodness, God know me long before I really know him. <laughs> I certainly had those revelations myself. Yeah. You know, every day when I think of something and I look back, I realize. God was with me. (laughs) I didn't know it, but he was there. Yeah. I had this thought or even, um, do you know, there were times in my childhood when I would say, I'd walk to my brother or someone and I would say, God said, blah, 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 blah. And do you know, that's the strangest thing to me when I look back now, because at that time in my life, I didn't even know God talked to people. So (laughs) why did I, as a child, walk to my brother and say, Oh, don't worry. God said, blah, 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 blah. I really did that. I did that when I didn't even understand really that God talks to people. So it's funny to me when I look back over my life too, that his hand was there and he was guiding us, speaking to us, moving us in a certain direction, even in our childhood or or young adult life. And we weren't really just paying attention. And then we had that moment when it was like, oh my God. That's God. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you you uh you 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 believe that that's the way it is. Yeah, I do. At the moment we didn't know it, but mm-hmm. when we look back, we realize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets better when you connect it and you yes. know and you become aware of his presence. That's beautiful too. And that's an exciting time in our lives. Yes. And it's comforting because you're like, wow, I thought I was going alone all this time, but actually his hand was always there. Yes. Just like me when I run uh, escape in the jungle, I could have wandering around and around and around in the jungle. But God made you go the right path. Yeah. Isn't that something? I don't understand how people call that luck and by chance. Hmm. That's just way too lucky for me to comprehend. I've had certain things happen in my life that if I tried to say it was just luck or happenstance, it just doesn't even make sense. It takes more energy to believe that it was luck (laughs) than to believe it's God. It's crazier, actually, to me to imagine that things that were designed so strategically, it takes more faith for me to believe it was just luck than to just believe it was God. 
I'm enjoying talking to you. And again, I, I really appreciate you. We are at a point in my uh, show when I ask every guest the same question. And it's this, what one final gem can you leave with my audience today? I'm going to say our audience today. If they don't remember anything else about your story, what is so important that from your life to theirs, you want them to never forget this? I said the most important of all is to build our own self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the confidence to know that God is with us, mm-hmm. the confidence that helps us to be more courageous. Be courageous, because once you have that confidence, you will be courageous. And I think that's what a lot of people call uh, being even a risk taker. So you have so much confidence that you won't let the voices on the outside, even opposition, real opposition that you may face physically or or even mentally, you won't let it stop you. You're going to be courageous. Wow. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So yes. Saying that's the most important thing. Remember to be courageous. And you were that. You were that in your story. I didn't know prior to today that you helped three other people. Your courage, your sense of uh, being grateful and having faith and a sense of purpose and love caused you to be courageous. At that time, And you're still being courageous today by sharing your story and wanting to ignite a passion in others to be courageous and and go for it. I appreciate that. Thank you. What are some of the ways in your life that you still find it necessary to have confidence and be courageous and use your four attributes of resiliency? What are the things you're conquering today after doing so much? Well, being a speaker, a public speaker, requires a lot of confidence and has something worthwhile to share with the audience. And especially coming from the person who did not speak English. English is not my first language. As a public speaker here in this country, I speak in English. So so, um, I had to build my self-confidence it requires a lot of work, but I believe that self-confidence is very important. And being positive, being optimistic, have a sense of purpose. I'm not doing this for myself. Mm-hmm. I do this so that other people can benefit from it. That's so beautiful. You're such a beautiful person. Will you tell my audience how they can get in touch with you, get your book, anything that you want them to know, have you as a speaker, anything you want people to know about how to get in touch with you. I'll also put stuff in the show notes, but I think it helps to also maybe say it verbally. Yes. The best way to find me is I'm on LinkedIn. If anybody Mm -hmm. have access to LinkedIn, just uh, search for Sarah M. S-A-R-A-I-M. And um, I have my website, sarahm.com, S-A-R-A-I-M.com. And you will find my book there. And you can also 
invite me to speak if you have a gathering or any special event that you want me to inspire your audience. Right, right now I speak online, on Zoom, mm-hmm. and, and in person. That's wonderful. So Sarah M, and M spells like, I mean, it's spelled like we would say, uh, almost want to pronounce it as I'm. It's I-M. So everyone, if you want to find her, Sarah M, spelled I-M. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being my guest. I I just feel like God is blessing me and I'm so privileged just that I get to meet so many wonderful people. So I really appreciate someone like you coming on my show and sharing your story. What wisdom, what experience I'm gleaning from you, pulling from your life, even now myself, to know that you went through such things and you've had such courage. There's hard times that I've faced in my life, but I haven't literally been in a killing field. So it puts things in perspective. If you can make it, I can make it. If you can make it, so many people can make it. So thanks for sharing that beautiful story of victory. (laughs) Yes, yes. Overcomer. Mm -hmm. You are an overcomer. You know, I'm not alone. Everybody else can do it. Well, friends, Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.